Can you imagine our reading that James Madison or Thomas Jefferson tried to overthrow the government? The 2024 Republican presidential primary field is taking shape. The battle lines are becoming clearer, and so is the field of candidates. Is the odds on favorites, if you look at the polling, still Trump versus Biden? That seems to be it, but it's just way too early to tell. I'm more angry now and I'm more committed now than I ever was. Big challenge for these candidates is going to be how do they navigate Donald Trump? And, and how do they navigate Ron DeSantis? You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. Welcome back to the Ruthless Variety Program. A very big week and a string of very big weeks for the Ruthless Variety Program. Fellas, how are we doing today? Excellent. I'm trying not to crack up that that opener. <laughs> Can you imagine if Thomas Jefferson was was called out for trying to overthrow the government? Yeah. That's like his claim to fame. Like, what? <laughs> it's like Michael Jordan playing basketball. Can you imagine if Thomas Jefferson like wrote this whole document about <laughs> overthrowing a government? And what if he called it the Declaration of Independence? <laughs> Shit would be wild. Imagine if there was a conspiracy that involved James Madison and George Washington. And it would really, it would really be something. It is amazing how dumb the collective commentary on politics is today isn't it? it yeah i mean it's it's sad honestly because you know things are getting increasingly worse for the american family you see the numbers day by day i mean even kamala harris herself was forced to admit that statistic of uh the average family in america would go bankrupt if they had a surprising 400 dollar like charge come up yeah. so i mean in a time like this these kind of idiots are the ones who are trying to provide analysis for folks to understand what's going on. I it's, think it's part of the problem. Sad. Look, we are probably the biggest supporters and purveyors of the opportunity that Americans get by alternative media. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you don't have to go through corporate media and the same old bullshit that's left leaning, that gives you a skewed view of the world that spends four years basically trying to train people into believing things like Russiagate are serious. Mm -hmm. Um, all that being said, uh, you look at the internet today, and every once in a while you wish you could winnow down the field a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, boy, you know, oh boy. Boy, oh boy. What a bunch of dumb shit. Um, but you're going to get smart shit here on the program today. Uh, first thing I want to start with is we've got this trip, two trips mm -hmm. coming up. Three. Three trips coming up. My God, look at us, the hardest working people in show business. Very busy. Really are. Uh, yeah, you're right. There's three. The first one is going to be in Iowa. Mm -hmm. And we announced uh, yesterday that we've got a nice little slate card of headliners. Obviously, that starts with Governor Kim Reynolds, who we don't go into the state of Iowa without discussing mm -hmm. uh, and, and planning and making sure that we're doing everything right. Her team is just absolutely terrific, and they're just like absolute concierge service for everything that you need to know about Iowa. And Joni Ernst, a longtime friend of the program. She's got hilarity. She's smart. She's fun. She, again, somebody, if you're going to Iowa, you got to talk to. And then we got two presidential candidates that are sort of making a lot of noise these days. That's right. Uh, Nikki Haley, who's mm -hmm. been on the program before um, during the presidential. And Ron DeSantis. Mm -hmm. Ronnie D's making his post-presidential announcement debut. You recall that we helped kick off his gubernatorial re-election down in Florida with several thousand of our, our friends. Phenomenal event. A phenomenal, phenomenal event. event. 
Uh, but this is the first time that we've seen him since then. Mm -hmm. And so between the two of them, I imagine that we are dealing with a pretty high test situation, don't we? I, I mean, even for good. the folks in Iowa who are blessed to like see a lot of, you know, candidates come through, this is like a very concentrated powerhouse event. So congrats to the folks who were able to snap up tickets while they were available. You're going to have a hell of a show. You're going to have a hell of a show. And we're going to do it the ruthless way, which is having fun. Maybe drinking a cocktail or two. Yeah, playing, a, playing a couple games. Playing a couple of games. Yeah. Enjoying ourselves as we always do. Yeah. I mean, we're going to sing. We're going to dance. We're going to entertain. That's exactly <laughs> right. That's exactly right. So that's what we're doing in Iowa. And then we go to Milwaukee where well, we're doing. Oh, no. Before we go Milwaukee. To, we go to Georgia. What? We're going to Georgia. We're going to Atlanta. You're Hot right. Atlanta. Stand corrected. We're going to Hot Atlanta. Yeah. With Eric Erickson and his annual event there. There's a huge list bunch of other Republican presidential candidates are coming down to that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's called Gathering 2023. He he did uh, variations of this over the years. Um, so, I mean, we're really excited to be a part of it. It's going to be a lot of fun. I think we're doing a... Lunchtime. Like post-lunch or, or whatever. Yep. But lunchtime entertainment. Well, you know, we're going to get the crowd going. You always roll the dice a little bit when you give us before 4 o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Because, like, you never know. It could be a big hit, but... Eh, yeah. You never know. You never know. You never know. But that's what we've got, and we're very excited. We're appreciative of the invite um, regardless. So we're, we're going to put on a good show there. And then we have Milwaukee, mm -hmm. where we have debate day. Mm -hmm. The game day pregame show, debate which is going to be day. incredible. It is going to be incredible. We've been talking a lot about it, putting together all the particulars. And old Wolf is really busting his hump, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, it's all—all all these things are a lot of work, and uh, you know, we got the best person for the job with the Wolf. It really is. But I'm also surprised by all the people who are coming out of the woodwork that are like, "Hey, can, how do we help? How do we do?" It's just great to see. Yeah, it know, is. Good, yeah. solid people, followers of the program. Well, we'll do our very best. They yeah. believe in the product. They believe in the product. Well, and and just a uh, heads up to anyone who's reached out or dm'd or emailed or whatever about milwaukee we're still trying to figure out some of the logistics there on everything but as we know more you will know more yep that's exactly right and as my understanding is that like everyone who shows up you get to party so like if we have ten thousand people show up that's gonna be cool with everybody <laughs> <laughs> that is like the exact message they didn't want us to yeah. no. it's like, please don't do this he's like here it is <laughs> Classic smug. Um, we also have a great sponsor of today's program, Citizens for Against Government Waste. Tom Schatz in the uh, in the program today. He's going to talk a lot about Lena Khan. We've talked about yep. her on this program before. She's a, she's a huge problem. And, huge and we have, problem. We've let our folks know what a problem she is. Yeah, and we have. And he does a great job at actually singling down. And, and his organization is terrific. I was saying in our interview, which you'll hear, uh, I've relied a lot on their information over the years, and yeah. I know a lot of congressional staffers do the same. Uh, if you want to get in on the end, you should go to their website and check that stuff out. It's also, I think, important for people to realize, like, this is the most radical person in the entire Biden administration, and you don't normally see that from an FTC commissioner? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, normally you think, like, that's who, a who they nominate to the Supreme Court, or you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's the thing that grabs all the headlines, but, like, sneakily, she's been a really big deal. And so I hope people stick around for that interview. It's interesting. Yeah, we called that one from the beginning. Um, so let's start with some political discussion, shall we? Sure. So there's an awful lot, clearly, when you're dealing with an indictment week last week, there's an awful lot of blocking out the sun 
when it comes to the presidential race. Everything is sort of like determinative on what the news media thinks is newsworthy. And of course, why would you ask presidential candidates what their vision for America is when you can ask them about the latest like process drama or legal drama or whatever that has nothing to do with their campaign and everything to do with their opponents? We've yeah. seen a lot of that. Yeah, and I, th I thought it was all sort of encapsulated best on ABC this week when uh, Doug Burgum, uh, who we had a great interview with the other day, was on with Stephanopoulos. And Stephanopoulos was pressing him on this very question. What do you think about the Trump? Here's the latest on Trump. And Burgum was like, people are worried about what Joe Biden is doing. Yep. I'm running against Joe Biden. And by the way, you haven't asked me about Hunter Biden. Bingo. And Stephanopoulos was like taken back, like, oh, Hunter Biden, tell me about Donald Trump. And and Burgum wouldn't move. And I think, and we've talked about this before, but I think this is sort of an indicator that some of these candidates are getting a lot smarter when it comes to interviews with the mainstream press. And, and can I say, like, that shows how great a candidate Burgum is. Like, there was all this discussion when this latest indictment dropped about how, isn't it so convenient that whenever news comes out about Biden and the corruption of this family and this administration, okay, here comes an indictment and the media only wants to cover that. They don't mm -hmm. want anyone to hear a peep about mm -hmm. this. And Bergen goes straight to it. He's like, why is no one on in the media trying to discuss these facts which are now being presented to us? House Republicans have been investigating this. We now see all these lies we were told by Biden on the campaign trail are lies. Yep. And yep. they don't want, they're like, no, 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 no. We got to talk about Trump indictment and he won't take the bait. Yeah. If you looked at the front page of the New York Times on Sunday, three stories about Trump, zero stories about Hunter Biden, zero stories about Devin Archer, explosive news last week and the New York Times front page wouldn't even touch it. Right. And I didn't even notice it. My wife opened up the paper. We, we subscribe oh. to a variety of newspapers <laughs> just for hate reading. <laughs> Sure. My wife, my wife looked at the paper. She was like, "You got to be kidding me!" They get themselves all. It's all up. about Trump. There's nothing about Biden. How is that possible after the week he just had? Yeah, and it, it just it shows the bias in the press. And you know, Stephanopoulos, of course, he was a former Democrat press secretary, but he's a guy who has a show right now. He wakes up in the morning, looks at the front page of the New York Times on Sunday, and he's like, "Ah." There's no incentive to talk about Hunter Biden at all because nobody in the media is talking about it. And I can just get away with talking about Trump ad nauseum. It's just it's the worst, worst, worst way of doing media. And Republican candidates are ready. Yeah, they're sharpen their knives. And I noticed last week that everybody's like sort of getting a little bit better. Right. I think it's a talented field. We've talked about this before. A whole bunch of people with rich credentials and they're smart or they wouldn't be there in the first place. But, you, you know, the Burgum discussion at ABC was one thing. I saw how Nikki Haley handled the question, the same thing that was basically like, I'm not here to be a color commentator for Donald Trump. I'm here to run for president. And it's like that sort of shift in dynamic from some of the others in this primary, I think, is pretty significant. Ron DeSantis is one. Look, we've been hard on him on the show for a variety of reasons. If you watch anything he did last week, boy... It looks pretty sharp. I mean, mm. these guys have figured this thing out. He's delivering serious attacks. He's avoiding zero questions. And he's avoiding that, you know, those cringe moments. And there's some mm -hmm. candidates in this field that just sort of thrive on them. Where you ask an impossible question and then they give you an answer that you know they don't believe. Mm. Yeah. He, he's avoided that entirely. And it's like a 10-day period now where I feel like he's shooting from exactly where his 
between the 40s are. Like you're getting the authentic Ron DeSantis, which for those of us who've loved Ron DeSantis for years, have been hoping for since he started. Yeah, I think what he said recently, um, which is actually echoes something that we'd previously said on the show, but if 2024 is about January 6, 2021, and a document by a toilet at Mar-a-Lago, Republicans going to lose. Yeah, and if it's just... about like what Joe Biden has done destroying this country, we will win. Yeah, and that doesn't matter who the nominee is. If the entire conversation that the media wants to have, obviously, is the latest thing in in Donald Trump's legal woes, that's not that's not good because we're not able to tell our story as the Republican Party. Yeah, and, and too often in previous weeks, I feel like the the conversation within the Republican primary electorate, not surprisingly amplified by the corporate media, is like conspiratorial, weird. It's like just sort of out to lunch and there's no choice but to cover this stuff last week yeah because everyone's sort of hitting the spots at least the the main folks in the conversation which is i mean that's what we've said all along is that this thing's going to progress and it's going to get into a different stage at some point i really think the best advice you could be giving some of these presidential campaigns right now is hit biden hit biden hard make in voters' minds, a comparison between you and Biden is the fastest way to elevate yourself mm. yeah. to that same level. So then folks start thinking, okay, what would I think this candidate would be like squaring up against Biden? And if you're crushing him on the road and people are like, you know what? Like, I see this guy or this lady holding Biden accountable. I bet they'd crush him on a debate stage. It starts making you look more presidential in voters' minds. That, like, My best advice is Biden has so many problems right now. He's had like the worst six months that I can think of any elected president having, whether it's on the economy, like record number of companies have have gone bankrupt this year. You're not hearing about that because everyone just wants to talk about what hurts Republicans. You know, the econ like when Kamal Harris herself is saying most Americans can would go bankrupt if they got a surprise four dollar charge. That's a huge problem for this administration. And they know they know the economy in particular is a huge, huge liability, huge liability for the Biden administration and this reelect. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw the recent news about the infrastructure projects that are that are going up now, you know, um, that they're putting huge signs, the construction. Oh, yeah. Things is, they, is, you yeah. know, thanks to uh, the bipartisan infrastructure deal uh, by President, you know, Joe, Joe Biden. Right. Because they want to start getting yeah. credit for stuff. This comes. But by the way, this this entire facet comes from the stimulus oh, yeah. right. that the Obama oh, right. administration right. did in the winter of 2009, where they repurposed for from taxpayers, basically, right. printing of signs for every construction project right. in the country right. to say, like, thanks to Barack Obama, this is happening. So this is not surprising. I mean, first of all, everything about this administration tries to repurpose what they did yeah. in the Obama administration, because mm -hmm. it's basically, like you say, it's like the third team Obama. Yeah, it's, right. it's the third string Obama team. Yeah, right. It's wild. It's also just funny because, like, I, you know, I was listening to some show this morning on the way in, and they were talking about how savvy it is and how, you know, the president's team's really working hard to get the credit they think they deserve on the economy and all of this sort of stuff. It's like, bro, you remember when like Trump tried to send out like stimulus like checks to people during COVID, oh, they went and they went nuts because yeah. it would have his name on it. Yeah, do you remember that shit? I do. Oh, I do. And I then do. like yeah. when when Joe Biden's trying to put a sign next to every construction project in the country, they're like savvy, very savvy. Oh, smart, well, <laughs> smart stuff. Well, well, guess guess who isn't buying it? 
blue-collar voters right. are not buying it. And at the risk of skipping ahead a little bit too much, it's not just white blue-collar voters. There's new polling that was shown in Axios this morning that Biden is losing ground with Latino and African-American working voters. And it's because he hasn't done enough for the working class in this country. He's done country. nothing. He's done nothing. Absolutely nothing and, for working-class Americans. And, and putting up a sign on the side of the road saying Joe Biden did this does not equal helping people. Right. You know what I mean? It's like it, it's like a joke. They will drive by the sign and be like, "Yeah, gee, thanks for the sign, pal." But I also, can't afford my I groceries. Thought, and I remember thinking this at the time in the in the Obama administration. You know, is it just me or is it every construction project come at like the worst possible fucking time? Right. 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 So like, you know. Saturday is nothing going on, and like overnight, there's nothing. Monday at like 8 a.m., when everybody's going to work, now we got to close all the lanes. Yeah. And you know what? Let's slap a sign on saying that thanks to Joe I like Biden. This. I like this dad commentary. You know what I mean? No, this stuff grinds my gears. It too. grinds my gears. And yeah. then you look out and you're like, really? Like at at absolute rush hour is when we when we when we're gonna close. No, no, all no. This you stuff? know, get the cones out. Now's time. Now but- <laughs> You know what? Here's my guess: is like they, the consultants were like, "How do we get the most amount of people to see yeah, Joe right. Biden?" Sign? Yeah, <laughs> well, you stop them when they're on their way to work. Never mind yeah. the fact they got a purple vein in their forehead right. from old, like old, pure blood pressure sitting in traffic. Think just, Mayo Pete, Mayo Pete went back to McKinsey, went into the lab with the consultants, <laughs> and they were like, "All right, so peak rush hour, we'll get the most eyeballs on these signs." I think that's exactly right, it, Smug. McKinsey's like, "Okay, Pete, we got two ideas. So we slow down traffic so everyone sees a sign, and then also we fix bread prices." <laughs> <laughs> Bread prices. He's like, I'm 100 oh. with that. Yeah, how do we make that happen? Oh God, I know. Well, d- to your point on this poll uh, from Axios, this is the lead of the Axios story. One of the main reasons President Biden is struggling in the polls against former President Trump is his glaring underperformance with constituency that has long overwhelmingly been Democrat, non-white voters without a college degree. Yeah, that, I mean, that that's what you're hitting here. Mm-hmm. And we're getting that across the country. You're seeing the shift that's happened over the last four or five years where you're dealing with predominantly working class Americans that have largely been union driven, that are voting Republican. And now they're like very driven to vote Republican. And, and one thing specifically when it comes to this administration's economic priorities and their legislative priorities is it does nothing for working class Americans. Specifically, it shows how out of touch this administration is that they're all a bunch of, you know, Ivy League consultants because they're like main thrust right now. Their biggest fight, what they want to take up is how do we get taxpayers to pay for college loans? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, this is essentially if you look at the demographics of where the individuals are who have their loans forgiven, it is straight up in the coast. That's totally. where the majority of the debt is. These are people. These are kids. And um, also, if you're concerned about it, you, it's because you get a worthless degree. That's exactly. other, that's you the know? thing is, it, you know, these are overeducated people with who who chose to go to college for a, a degree that could not earn them a living that could pay for this degree. However, this overwhelmingly rich white coastal liberal group. Now it's like, why don't we have the government pay for my debt? How does that help working class people? And like no, I said, right there, it said the, the, his, he's losing ground with folks who don't have a college degree. This is the backbone of America. The working class in this country are the backbone who have kept this country together, and he's done nothing for them. This is a handout to his friends. That's yeah, all it is. I, I think the other thing in here, and it's it's noted in the article, is that you know for these people that they, they're not buying into the woke ideology stuff no. this this super progressive worldview it says um 
Teixeira, this is a guy from uh, American Enterprise Institute, notes that the progressive worldview that racism is systemic in our society rather than coming from individuals with racist views is broadly unpopular among the non-white working class. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Weird. Wow. Maybe because they have lived experience. I don't know. Maybe call them Latinx a couple more times to come around. <laughs> Keep doing that. Keep doing that. <laughs> it, again, it goes just like the defund the police thing where you actually poll communities and they say, well, we actually want more police in our right. communities. This is we actually want our communities thing. to be safe and not used to virtue signal for people on the coast who live inside of gated communities. Bingo. You know? Uh, totally. And members of Congress who have security right. and, and use campaign money. Like what? Cory Bush, who's like, I have a campaign, like a, a security team that's paid for. That is the most wild story of all time. But there was also uh, another one, I think, last week that was it was basically the same story that they built like walls. Mm -hmm. around their that's right that's right and whatnot another like progressive <laughs> dem who who says like you clearly can't build a wall at the border I, i'm gonna they, they build like a gated wall around their house and they put that sign up that says we do not believe people are illegal and that walls divide people <laughs> <laughs> great job good stuff but duncan duncan was quoting this to share a guy and one of the other reasons that he cites for why these latino and african-american voters are dissatisfied is they think that the Biden administration is pushing this transition from fossil fuels to renewable energy too quickly. In other words, he's eliminating trucks mm -hmm. and he is trying to replace them with electric cars that these people cannot afford. Yeah. And they're thinking, nor how am they, I going to get- Nor would they want to, by the way. Right. How, how am I going to get the stuff that I need to get from my house to my job site without the truck that I use every single day? And by the way, I already can't afford groceries. How am I going to buy this car that I can't- they can't even make enough of these cars. Yeah. They can't. So like it's and the demand isn't there. Like we saw recent polling numbers of where Americans just don't want to buy them. That's right. I, want, I want your average progressive dem to roll up with like the fully electric pickup to a construction site. Like, Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and then stop and throw it in park and get out and be like, what's up, fellas? Hello. How you doing? I have brought progress. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just, I'd love to see the look, you know? They're going to yeah. be totally surprised when they get their asses handed to them. I know. Uh, speaking of asses handed to them, did you guys see that baseball fight over the weekend? Yeah, I did. Did you see this? No. All right, so so you've got uh, an incredible dynamic that played itself out between the Chicago White Sox and the Cleveland Guardians. I'm going to be uh, respectful of the Cleveland name. Uh, whereas a doubles hit by this dude and he slides in. And uh, Tim Anderson is a shortstop for the uh, the White Sox, who's been a all star, having a down year. Uh, slaps a tag on, dude doesn't like it, and stands up. Tim Anderson, this guy, drops his glove like he is in the NHL. I mean, it, I've never seen it in baseball before. Oh, I saw this clip. Yeah, continue. But he drops his glove and puts up his fists like he is Bob Probert of the Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah. And this dude is like starting to square him up and he starts throwing jabs. And I was like, oh shit, at first I mean, I'm watching this thing. I'm like, it looks like this guy can fight. And then like other people start coming in and he leans towards his left side. Mm. Meanwhile, the guy that was sliding in hits him with the right hook. Yeah. Boom. And it was, it was just like a wild haymaker. Like yeah. it was completely, he wasn't aiming for anything. He walked right into his bad footwork. I also loved that the ump was like, hey guys, break it up, break it up. And then like after maybe 0.2 seconds suddenly he's like the boxing guy <laughs> that was the radio guy the yeah. radio play play by play and the ump were spectacularly transitioned between baseball 
and boxing. Right. Like immediately the umpire steps yeah. back and like gives the hand gesture <laughs> like, Look, let's go. Get it on. Clean, we know the clean fight. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> you got the radio guy be like, down goes Anderson. Down goes Anderson. Oh, it, it was, was just like, I mean, that's great sports. I mean, when he was like walking off the field, he was like out on his feet. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. His, his he was dazed. He was dazed yeah. after that punch. I mean, yeah. it, Real it was straight regretful. to the chin. Real regretful stuff. And this is the time of year, by the way, if you haven't noticed, sports are getting back into things, right? It's like the doldrums of July and June. They're, they're over. Mm-hmm. You get Football is back in full effect, and we're going to get like actual college games here. I saw a tweet that said there's going to be an NFL game at least once every week until yeah. Like February. Yeah, pre- oh. preseason starts this week. Great. Can't wait. Love to see it. It's just so great, and I just I can't express the love that I have for this this time of year. Also, yeah. I hope there's more fights. That's some of the best stuff. You it want gets, you want yeah. like pure it's fights. It's exciting. It gets people involved. As long as no one gets like seriously hurt, just let it fight. Yeah, let it fight. Have a good time. For those of you who are not baseball fans, you're still going to enjoy games at this time because I noticed something switch over the weekend where you went from like the summer you're just grinding out 80 games to like all of a sudden there's a pennant race going on. Yeah. And every one of these stadiums is full. There's like high anxiety. I mean, look, the Guardians and the White Sox aren't exactly fighting for the pennant. But like there's but a at least fight. they're fighting. There's a fight yeah, on the field. I mean, this stuff's getting exciting. Yeah. Oh, I love every second of it. All right. So speaking of getting exciting, we we like to break down a little bit on the Ruthless Variety program stuff that you're not seeing and hearing uh, in the news, but it tells you a little bit about why you may or may not be seeing and hearing a lot of candidates that are are in this presidential election. And one way to do that is a breakdown of what people are spending. Mm-hmm. And this blew my mind. Axios had a piece, 2024 presidential candidates are burning cash fast. Um, and this was the burn rate. So what we mean by the burn rate is how much money you've raised versus how much money you've spent. And that's like 100%. If every dollar comes in uh, and you spend every, it's 100%. The top of the list right now is Senator Tim Scott at 109%. Mm, that's pretty high. Now so that's, that's, he, when it's over 100%, it's more spending than is coming in. That's yeah. exactly right, Smug. Thank you for following along. <laughs> Just making sure for everyone. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm glad you're doing it. He's that. the voice of the listener. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. But, but I mean, look. He put together a Senate race that was largely not contested, where he raised a whole bunch of money, mm-hmm. uh, perceivably to be prepared if he decided to run for president. So he's got this luxury. It's not like he's gone broke. But 109%, the next closest is Doug Burgum at 69%. And remember, mm. he's the one that came up with the whole deal of pay 20 bucks for every dollar that you donate. Yeah, I think he just doesn't care about what the bill looks like. He's got it covered. <laughs> yeah, he's, ready. he's here to play. He's fine. He's here to play. Uh, you got Ramaswamy, another self-funder yep. that's in there at 40%. No, 53. 53. Or 53. Yeah, yeah I'm sorry. DeSantis is at 40. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's the thing. The funny thing is you've heard nothing but discussion about the burn rate in the DeSantis camp. By comparison... Two and a half uh, times. Tim Scott's two and a half times. Two and a half times? That's a lot. That's I mean, a lot. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, that, This kind of stat makes you question assumptions of everything you're hearing. I mean, if you were to read the newspaper, you would think that like the DeSantis campaign is basically piloted itself into a twin tower. 
Right. You know what I mean? Like, this is just like the worst possible campaign. But then you look at this and it's like, well, I don't know. He's still in second place everywhere. That's a really good point. So you see DeSantis' burn rate is 40. Trump's is 39. Nikki Haley, 35. It's like all right there. Yeah. It just seems like the real outliers here is is Tim Scott. Well, yeah, Tim, but he's got, Tim Scott's got, I think, 20 million still in the bank. Yeah, well, that's what I was saying. He started with a healthy, healthy sum. So it's not like necessarily irresponsible, Mm -hmm. but it's certainly reflective of where you're at in the polls. But I think it's also maybe part of his strategy, right? Like he's spent a lot on uh, paid media. Um, I think he wants to sort of level up into that DeSantis tier if it's possible. And so he's spending at a faster clip. Mm -hmm. You also saw the spending that they're doing out of the Super PAC, which is a lot. It's a lot of money. So maybe Tim Scott should try earned media. That's that's an interesting (laughs) idea. Yeah. But uh, he's also spending a lot of money. (laughs) I'm just saying, you know, like, I mean, where is his campaign is the thing. I guess like if you're in Iowa, maybe you're getting bombed with Tim Scott ads. But for the rest of the country, for the rest of the voters, where has Tim Scott been? I mean, yeah, he hasn't like, been on Ruthless. For like a 109% burn rate, I would think this guy's like wall to wall, right? Well, he's, you know. Like Vivix is, is 53%, right? And 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 I see him everywhere. Dude is everywhere. If there is a camera, Vivek is going to be there, you know? <laughs> no, it's 100% he's, he's true. He's got his kid on a PJ shooting out videos. <laughs> the dude is getting his message out there. I haven't yeah. seen Tim Scott anywhere. I did love that. And another thing about the working class in America. (laughs) Pay no attention to the G6 backdrop. Hey, work for Trump. Yeah, no, it did. It did. But you know what? I mean, look, you you actually raise a fair point uh, here on the Ruthless Variety program. We endeavor to have every candidate on and discuss. We've had Tim Scott on a couple times previously here to to talk about his book Mm -hmm. that he wrote. Uh, One time when he was battling back against the far left in terms of wokeism and cancel culture when he was dealing with like major league baseball and moving the all-star game out of Atlanta, like a lot of good stuff. Uh, and then since he's been a presidential candidate, uh, we haven't really heard hiding or hair of him and he's basically it. I mean, it's been like 60 days, right? Yeah. We I mean, we got him. We got to get Trump on. We got to get him. We got to get Trump on. And that's I mean, we're basically to the end of the end of the road in terms of all of the candidates. Uh, we did have Chris Acevedo on of the Trump campaign. And also, to be fair, I think we made our rule of like the 60 day thing in like February and, and Trump announced like November. So like he got out there ahead of anybody. Yeah. He's got yeah. that. And to make it clear, we'll we'll interview Donald Trump anytime, any place. And we'll we'll keep that offer open. I guess the same is true here for Tim Scott. Like. I guess you may <laughs> you may want to answer a phone call or things could get ruthless, as they say. Uh, Can I make one more observation sure. about this burn rate that caught my attention? We were talking about how much Republicans have been spending, and you talked about earned media. Look who is at eight percent, Joe Biden. Hmm. When the mainstream media is attacking hmm. all of your opponents ad nauseum every single day, and it's the only thing they talk about, you're a Democrat who doesn't have to spend money. That's it. I think that's right. But I also think it's indicative of the fact that this guy's not actually running a campaign. Like, yes, he has the luxury because of what you just described of not actually doing that because the media does it for him. But he started later. I mean, I noticed like, what was it, three weeks ago? They're like, hey, he's going to do a campaign headquarters in Roslyn or whatever. I mean, that was like a good year and a half later than every incumbent president Mm -hmm. had set up a campaign Mm -hmm. and like there's just something weird about this whole thing i think there just just, doesn't feel like it seems like they're keeping all the infrastructure at the dnc right like that's where all the overhead is that's where the people are and they're keeping his footprint very very small but it makes you think and i think this is where you're driving at is like 
you're keeping it all at the DNC, mm-hmm. maybe in case there's somebody else. Who knows? Can I give you a conspiracy mm-hmm. theory? That's I'll, I love conspiracy I like theories. That. I like that. So here's my latest, and I think this is actually, I think I can, I am actually partially right about this. It may not be exactly what they're thinking, but I guarantee you, it's gone through their heads. I think Democrats know as well as we do that this guy's incapable of taking the main stage and actually fighting back on his own and making a case on his own, regardless of who the nominee is. I think that they thought for the better part of the last two years, as long as it was Donald Trump, it didn't matter. And they're looking at polls and they're looking at his own image and they're saying that's like worse than Donald Trump's. Uh, The ballot question is uncomfortably tight. Um, And then they're looking at their principal and they're like, does this guy really have it? That what they're thinking about doing And again, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I think what they're thinking about doing is holding on to all of this until you get past Super Tuesday, past the big states, past all of the the primaries that are set in stone. So you get into like a May 2024 like time frame. And at that point, then making another decision about whether they have somebody else ready to go. Oh shit. Because, Because I'll tell you what it does. What they would be able to do then, because there's no way of reconstituting a Democratic primary, because you couldn't put a whole bunch of states to re-vote and you would have like debates and stuff like that would all be moot. It would allow the DNC and more importantly, Democratic establishment to select who their candidate is. So I've had the exact same thought. In fact, I have expressed it right here on the Variety program some months ago and I was laughed at. When I did so, this is fake news. However, and I we feel can, like it we, is fake news. We, we can go. We can go back to the tape. News, we'll go Ashbrook. back to the tape. We'll go back to the tape. You read this in the Times, Ashbrook. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go back to the tape. We'll go back to the tape. Okay. Uh, what I'm saying is that at the time, I thought that Gavin Newsom was the likely replacement, and you guys were like, "God, oh, Gavin, you really think that Gavin Newsom? Maybe Gavin Newsom's not the replace, the only replacement option." He certainly seems to be trying out for that role. Yeah. Maybe there's somebody else. Maybe Kamala Harris is the. Yeah, that was my. Well, I've, I think say, I said that for. Yeah, you said you've talked yeah. about Kamala, but I think the real important part of this, the reason why I think this actually has some bite right now, is that Democrats cannot afford a repeat of a 2020 presidential primary yeah. debate in this environment. No. Right. Like you can do it amidst COVID when people are concerned about incredibly more important things in their own family and their well-being and everything else and you put them all on stage and they're like you know who here thinks that everybody who crosses the border illegally should get free health care and they all raise their hand like that stuff can get blown through pretty quickly when your own existence is in the conversation now it's not in the conversation yeah and like there's no way Democrats could ever emerge from that primary process within five or 10 points, I don't care who the Republican nominee is. And I don't care where, I mean, look, Trump could be indicted, he could be convicted. And I still think that they'd be down if you tried to do that primary process. But if you didn't do it at all. That, that'd be so wild, like May 2024, Dr. Jill Biden is like, Joe, <laughs> let's have a discussion. She's got a pamphlet. It's called yeah. The Place for Mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do they have pudding, but if you, Jill? If you've noticed, I mean, Kamala Harris has taken on a more higher profile yep. role in recent weeks. She's got, you know, she's attacking Ron DeSantis and all of this sort of stuff. And look, I, I'm under no illusion that she could win a fair fight with the rest of the Democratic field. 
like no possible way like she's a bad candidate she yeah. didn't even get to iowa in 2020 um but she could win one they rigged for yeah you know and i think you know my conspiracy theory sort of dovetails with yours in that like you know you get through some of the calendar and then you're like oops can't do it anymore <laughs> she's our gal you know and then like you know she's basically shoved down their throats but like think about if you're a Republican or I'm sorry, a Democratic voter in like Nevada or South Carolina or New Hampshire or Iowa, and like they get all the way through Super Tuesday and then they're like, hey, that, remember that that guy we said was the nominee? You don't get a choice anymore. They, they pulled a similar move to make Joe Biden the nominee. Right. Yeah, the, so the, the they, South Carolina deal, the switcheroo. Yeah, yeah. They, they've done it before. And I think the, the outstanding question is, will the Dem insiders put up with doing it again? Yeah, you know, they is, will. Is there is there a power center that is stronger than the forces behind Kamala Harris? No. Would Barack Obama rather have Michelle Obama at the top of the ticket? Would the Clintons have enough strength I'll, to be able to come back? I'll Maybe what, honestly, these questions. These questions that's a really have not good been point. answered. If I had to guess, a lot of their say now comes from their dark money donors. Like that report that came out. I think it was it was the New York Post or Fox who covered it. Of like, uh, House Republicans are now looking to all the overseas. Left wing dark money. Yeah, that's been funny things like uh, uh, Hans Jörg Viss, who we've mentioned many yep. times on the show. He always pronounces it so well. Of, He's of, so good. Of yeah. like uh, campaign apparatus, essentially are essentially completely bought and paid for. Yeah. You look at elections when it comes to DAs across this country. George Soros is just handpicking whoever yeah. is going to cause the most mayhem. So those are the people who are calling the shots more than historically. You had like the Podesta Clinton dynasty right. who was calling the shots. I think now, I mean, money talks with that part. They're still very hierarchical, no question about it. But if you notice, there was an, also an interview over the weekend by this congressman from Minnesota, Dean Phillips, who's like a quote-unquote moderate. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what that means. It, it basically means that you're a Democrat who like speaks nicely while delivering the knife to the working class. I don't a know. Moderate I, Dems, a uh, socialist, not a communist, essentially. <laughs> okay. like, oh, I'm no. a socialist. That's a moderate. That, I guess that's probably right. But this Dean Phillips guy is like a an entrepreneur or whatever. He speaks like uh, inoffensively, shall mm -hmm. we say. He was out on the Sunday shows and he was basically making the case that there should be a Democratic contest that it shouldn't be a coronation i think that was his words exactly mm -hmm. and suggesting that like maybe he might be interested in it well dean whatever he is he's not a part of like the democratic establishment in terms of how these decisions are making and like i think it's that that kind of conversation that forces the hands of a lot of these people mm -hmm. you think he's a stalking horse for something real well i my sense is that a guy like that isn't in the inside of the conversations of the Biden administration and everything else. And they would prefer if that conversation stopped immediately. Uh -huh. But it can't stop because what he's talking about is an unbelievable truth, which is Democratic voters are ultimately going to put up another geriatric 80-year-old mm -hmm. who we all know has shitty policies, has a bad record, and can't defend himself in public. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And like... Are you going to walk into that just in the hopes that the indictments against Donald Trump are enough? And I think there's a lot of Democrats, including I, President Obama last week, that met yep. with Biden saying, like, it might not be enough. I, I totally agree with you. But the, the Dem inside process is so complicated. It's so convoluted with the superdelegates and how many are there. And that number is a moving number. And who, who owns the superdelegates? And do the Clintons still have some sway? I just don't know that 
Biden has the juice to be able to clean it Counterpoint, up. Counterpoint, though, I mean, Hillary Clinton was counting on the super deluxe back in, you know, 2008, and they moved in mass against her, mm-hmm. right. right? So, right. like, there are other forces at play here beyond but that. But that's, that's, that's what I'm getting yeah, at. Yeah, I'm just, the, the, what is to, that force? But, but that's the exact same yeah. point I'm making, is, like, the Clintons were the, the strongest force in Democrat politics right. until Obama stepped on the scene, and all of a sudden there's, there's a way to work around it. So, like, I just don't think it's so simple as... Joe Biden dubs somebody. No, no, I don't think so. No, I think Obama. I, don't think so I think either. Obama pulls a lot of the strings. If you get a chance, read that tablet piece. It's like oh. six thousand words oh. on Barack it's... Obama. Um, just a teaser for you. There's a whole part about um, Obama writing letters to an ex girlfriend about gay fantasies. <laughs> that <laughs> seemed to catch the most. Yeah, a lot of people uh, their ears perked up when you <laughs> when they heard about that one. Um, but, you know, I think it's Was clear. the author Larry Sinclair? No, no, this is a serious <laughs> it's historian. A serious no, it's, huh. I'm dead serious. Yeah. This huh. is serious. And, yeah. and my favorite part of it, not to get too sidelined, was essentially making it clear that Obama's just an asshole, stuck-up dude yeah. who hates everyone except for people who have, like, a yacht. Right. If you can hook him up with a yacht. <laughs> it's so true. It's like, I knew it. I knew it. Like, all this dude, like, as soon as he left the White House, he got his place in Martha's Vineyard. He got, like, a Netflix deal. This is a dude who's just been like, I hate you people. You've been hassling me. I had to do this shit. Now I have a Netflix deal. My friends have yachts. I hate all of you people. The, and it made it so clear. And I was like, this is who he's always been. But the primary source, one of the primary source documents underpinning this entire piece is an old letter that Obama wrote to an ex-girlfriend. And there's a redacted paragraph that oh. this guy claims Oy. he has some substance on. Oy. And um, That's why I never Text your ex, dude. Take a look. Come back. (laughs) I mean, I just, I got to read it now. Um, Oh, here we go. This is amazing. Uh, This is, uh, um, yeah, when it came out six years ago, Rising Star was mostly ignored. This is um, referencing another piece. As a result, its most scandalous and perhaps revelatory uh, passages, such as Obama's long letter to another girlfriend about his fantasies of having sex with men read today to people who are more familiar with the Obama myth than the historical record, like partisan bigotry. Mm. Fascinating, right? Fascinating. There's been a lot of stories about Obama that a lot of people didn't cover. I guess. Well, I, I mean, it, it was like uh, for years they got rid of that photo that he had with what's his name, the the Nation of Islam guy, right? Farrakhan. Farrakhan. Yeah. Like there yeah. was a bar, like a, a, a an embargo of letting that information out. Maybe that that wall is crumbling. Hopefully. Ugh, well, we will find out. I want to go to this interview uh, with Tom Schatz of the Citizens Against Government Waste, and when we come back. We're going to talk about the story you came here for this week. It's Hank the Tank. Now Tom Chats. I want to welcome to the program uh, a friend of the program. And this is an organization that we followed and we actually routinely use an awful lot of research from from the Citizens Against Government Waste. Tom Schatz, welcome aboard. Thank you, gentlemen. Really appreciate being on the show. Um, Listen, you're involved in so many different things. But the one thing that we've talked about consistently on this program that you have a, a particular interest in is Lena Khan. Right. Uh, I took antitrust in law school, but I didn't think I'd be talking about it now. That was a long time ago. Uh, and most people don't really know what antitrust is about or really about the Federal Trade Commission. Uh, but the way that Lena Khan is radicalizing the entire agency, trying to take over most industries, undoing what the agency did previously, is 
making her the most radical member of the Biden administration. So I, I don't think I can argue with that. I mean, look, it's a it's a high bar to clear, <laughs> right? Yes. But I think right from the jump, we've talked about on Ruthless how she basically laid out what it is that she wanted to do and what she wanted to do was unbelievably radical, not based in fact or law, but ideologically uh, trying to pursue anybody with two dimes to run against, uh, rubbed against each other and make a, a, a full legal case against industries that basically antitrust doesn't involve itself in. Right. Right. Antitrust uh, law is supposed to protect competition, enhance competition, uh, protect the consumer, the consumer welfare standard, in fact, that she undid uh, outside of congressional authority, because if law is going to be changed, it should be done by Congress, and she did it by fiat, by herself, essentially. The Republican commissioners are gone. The last one there, Christine Wilson, resigned in outrage over her policies. Uh, and it's something that people are going to begin to feel the impact of over time. Now, she's lost four cases. I was just going to say, she, <laughs> right. it helps so, that she's not great. <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah, it helps that her philosophy is being tested in the courts and then saying, really sorry, that's it. She previewed that, for example, she would go after Amazon. She would not allow any mergers by Facebook, period, even if they helped consumers. She lost that case. Uh, now she's preparing probably to try to break up Amazon, which provides more than a million and a half jobs to the small businesses that sell their products there. I mean, but sure, they can go so somewhere else, but it's outrageous. I mean, when, I, when I think about this, there, look, there are plenty of arguments to go against big tech and, and everything else, but what she is basically, her mandate is to try to protect consumers. And by evidence of what she's doing, she's actually objectively making things worse. Right? Well, she said she didn't care about uh, big companies providing good service and low prices. It's not about that. <laughs> about she it. said that out loud. <laughs> 2017. And then Joe Biden nominates her for a seat on the commission and that same day makes her chair, which is unusual because if he had said in, in advance she would be named chair, there would have been a lot more scrutiny of her views. And maybe, I think today she probably wouldn't be uh, accepted by a couple of Democrats, but here she is, and she is doing her best to make her philosophy the ruling uh, you know, part of, of the entire Federal Trade Commission. It's a very dangerous agency when somebody like her is in charge. G give me a little lesson on antitrust. I just assumed, naively, perhaps, that this was for protection of consumers, That that basically ensuring competition, ensuring uh, the companies are competing against each other would lower prices. I mean, that was the whole basis for the law as it exists now. Well, the Sherman and Clayton Acts, which were in the 1880s and 1910s, I think, uh, they were intended in part to break up Standard Oil, mm. which was owned by John D. Rockefeller. Of course, breaking up Standard Oil made John D. Rockefeller richer. <laughs> and the entire system of producing of and selling oil more complicated and more expensive. Only he made money, essentially. Uh, so imagine Jeff Bezos getting richer. No, it's not, it's not, not that there's anything new, wrong with that. That's okay. That's okay, but that would be the opposite of what this administration is trying to do. And the big tech idea generally, we just don't like the term, in part because it plays to the left. Mm -hmm. So when members of Congress or people on the right say, hey, let's go after big tech, there's a lot of small tech that uses big tech to achieve 
their objectives, to sell their products, to reach out to millions of Americans. Somebody sitting in their basement can't sell to millions of people uh, directly. I think I saw about $230,000 on average by these small businesses in terms of annual income. And as I said, 89% making money, 10 to 15% profit. How could you argue with that as being a successful example of what the United States should be doing in the economy. But well, this administration wants to take it all down. It's ignorance of the modern economy, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an ignorance of how small businesses gets products to market. Ignoring that and pretending as though that this is some like massive conglomerate that's controlling end-to-end -end all of the products on their marketplace is insane. Well, the Amazon label itself is not Amazon. They don't make what they sell. They sell what somebody else produces. Yeah. My family business, was when I grew up, was called American Sponge and Chamois Company. And they sold sponges and chamois to Pathmark and Giant. And so those companies would put their label on the sponges made by American Sponge and Chamois Company. That's the private label issue, which, by the way, they also want to regulate out of business mm. <laughs> in this administration, claiming, well, that's not a good deal. But again, that's a small business selling its product through another facility capability network you know distribution and so that's how it has worked for a long time it just blows my mind at how little that liberals democrats seem and it's not every democrat but particularly con particularly this administration it blows my mind how little they seem to understand about the fundamentals of small business and what it takes to succeed as a small business person and it's not always glamorous it's not always going to be a story that's on the today show or told by a manhattan you know publisher but people people are satisfied with the work that they do and i just i i've never understood why why is it that you think that they don't seem to care about the impact on small business. Well, I've had some conversations with Congressman, sorry, Senator Ron Johnson, who of course ran businesses. And I would say to him, do your colleagues understand how business works? Like rather than spending money to solve a problem, you solve the problem and then determine whether you have the money to pay for that solution. He said, no, Democrats don't understand that. They wanna create a program to solve the problem. Bidenomics is about raising taxes, increasing the size and scope of the government so the government can control all the decisions in every industry because, of course, they know better. So if you think like that, that the government knows everything and it's there to solve everything, then you don't even understand the other side of it. And they've never run a business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the problem. They just don't get it. They don't know what it's like and how hard it is. Uh, and, and to say that this agency should be given the power to control most of the economy when they don't have that authority, it's, it's really abdicating their own responsibility as members of Congress. Mm -hmm. So um, you mentioned earlier the, the four L's that Lena Khan has taken in court mm -hmm. um, you know, under her tenure here, but the most recent one is this Microsoft Activision deal. Can you describe to us what happened there? Well, the Microsoft Activision deal, it's two companies that are not in the same business, essentially. Microsoft promised and in writing agreed that it would continue to carry Call of Duty, which was the big game that had been run um, across numerous platforms. And it, Microsoft is making it easier for people to access games across all devices, mm -hmm. like they do with all their services. Mm -hmm. And that's really the simplest way to explain what the deal was all about. But this was again about Microsoft is too big, they shouldn't have this, and 
they finally convinced even the European uh, Commission and, and Great Britain's like the last holdout. But they, she lost the case because it's in some ways a small acquisition for Microsoft. It is not anti-competitive. And especially the way that Microsoft approached it and said, we guarantee this will be there. And of course, the FTC didn't believe them, but they lost. And she tried mm -hmm. to keep it going. She finally gave up. But I mean, they, I, they're I, just going to keep trying. Everything that comes along is wrong and bad. And <laughs> somebody who says, I'm going to challenge everything Facebook tries to do, and I'm going to break up Amazon, she's trying to keep those promises. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> she didn't I, lie. I, <laughs> I hesitate to ask you to play armchair psychiatrist here, but when you take those kind of high-profile losses on things that you say that you're going to do, and obviously the reasoning behind it is asinine, or she wouldn't have gotten her tail kicked on every right. single one of these. Mm -hmm. But yet she marches forward. Is it just, it's just straight ideological? It's just like, if you make money, I am coming after you? I mean, is that what it seems, it's what it seems from my perspective. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like Bernie Sanders on healthcare, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Government-run healthcare, everything he does leads to government-run healthcare, every single piece of legislation he introduces, and I don't understand why a single Republican would support any of them, but they do in some cases. Uh, it's the same basic overriding philosophy that just pushes everything else aside, whether it's a loss in the court, they'll figure out another, look at the student loans, right? Mm -hmm. The Supreme Court said, Oh yeah. To the, the, the administration, like you can't forgive student loans. What they do? They found another obscure law from mm -hmm. the 1960s and said, "All right, we're going to forgive some of them, and that'll be challenged again. Probably they'll lose that one." But mm -hmm. you know, they're they're just pandering to a very small group of really left-wing radical people that think the government should control all of this. Oh, it's mm -hmm. just it's it's unbelievable. And it, look, having interacted with your outfit for many years at Citizens Against Government Waste. You guys keep an eye on all of it. It's not the spending, it's the, it's the policies as we're talking about here today. I feel like you all make an incredible impact in terms of shining a light on what otherwise goes completely undiscussed. And I wonder, is that a frustrating? I mean, the fact that there is no media right. here mm -hmm. to discuss- And there's still a lot of waste. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's still a lot of ways you can't do everything, but, yeah. but like you're an independent organization, you're not a part of the government. There's nobody overseeing any of this stuff. How frustrating. Is this a padded wall? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we can you know, shot, acoustical huh? tile. Is, look, yeah. I don't know. That's well, nice. That's, that could be okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we we I've been doing this for a long time. I started in uh, 1986. I worked on Capitol Hill for six years for Congressman Hamilton Fish Jr. when they were quote unquote moderate Republicans and. Mm -hmm. Probably more getting done, not necessarily as bad as it is now. Uh, but I really love doing this. Uh, we want to eliminate wasteful spending. We're not worried about going out of business, especially now. But we do try to get across the consequences of failing to provide government services efficiently. Mm -hmm. And that's the other part of, I mentioned Senator Johnson earlier. Like, How much money would be saved if everybody got what they needed from the government and only what they needed from the government. Mm -hmm. Like not 10 different programs or 133 broadband programs and right. still people aren't connected. There are so many examples of duplication, overlap, waste, that the programmatic piece of it, like I'm gonna fix this, I have a subcommittee, you've worked on the Hill, you mm -hmm. know this. Uh, that's what we wanna do. Yeah. That's all we know how to do. We yeah. know how to create programs and spend money. 
Not we, solving problems. Listen, you provide a valuable resource that I know when I was on the Hill was incredibly valuable to pushing back the expansion of government and just the idiocy of new stuff that people could come up with. It sounds like mom and apple pie <laughs> ends up to be redundant <laughs> and, uh, and destroying the taxpayer's value. Hmm. Uh, if people want to keep up with what it is that you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis, where do they go? They can go to CAGW.org or our lobbying arm, the Council for Citizens Against Government Waste, CCAGW.org. We do ratings of members of Congress. But the real message out of this, I think, should be to make sure that fiscal conservatives, conservatives on Capitol Hill, especially Senate Republicans, understand that giving the FTC another penny, more authority, or more power is a terrible idea. And even if the objective of the legislation seems reasonable, don't give the FTC anything more than it already has. So and and she's, guys... she's also asking for a 37% increase in her budget to show you how far she wants to go, wow. how many more things she wants to do. Let me, before we, and before that's we let go, I want to put a fine point on that. So their appropriations request is 37% higher? Yes, $160 million more than I mean, they're getting now. For those of you who, who don't follow <laughs> this granularly, what it means is that the budget request that they sent into Congress, which obviously they have the right to fill or not fill, is 37% higher despite the fact that she's coming up snake eyes on everything that, yeah. that she's doing? <laughs> Oh, you know, we, we're very good in Washington at rewarding <laughs> failure. Yeah, it's like, it's right? like, if it doesn't work, create a new program. It's like, don't an, fix it. it's like an 0 16 football team going back to the boosters and being like, you know what? We really need another $30 million yeah, we to had turn it around. Yeah. <laughs> we only had it. <laughs> Unbelievable. Hey, they made the playoffs eventually. The Browns. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the Browns shot. I love it. <laughs> Listen, Tom, I can't thank you for your time. I appreciate it. You got to uh, follow along with this organization. It is terrific work. Thanks for coming in here today. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Appreciate it. So, look, smart guy. He's, I mean, if you ever need to know anything about uh, antitrust legislation, he's your man. Yeah. <laughs> that guy knows everything there is to know. They're also all over all kinds of different nonsensical bullshit that the federal government is up up to. Uh, so we thank them for, for coming and, in. And for, again, like we said, we, we were very early on letting our readers know about how terrible Khan is. She's essentially just trying to destroy the country. Yeah. I'm hoping we get, like, House Republicans the same way that they're going Roto-Rooter on Joe Biden. They need to go Roto-Rooter on this lady because all the, prog all the programs that she wants to put in place, everything she wants to do is essentially to just destroy this country's economy. And the, regula the regulatory state writ large like under the biden administration has yep. been a disaster 100%. and absolutely crazy i mean one of the other things he was telling us after we recorded was you know pay attention to the fcc as yep. well you know all that bullshit with net neutrality remember if we got rid of net neutrality well, millions would end die of america and, and end of the internet as we know it yeah and none of that came true obviously but they're gonna start trying to bring some of that stuff back too yeah yep. Yep, no question about it. All right, you guys ready to tee off here? The main main event. This is the main event. This is just like months in the making. Yeah. We have talked about Hank, the bear, mm -hmm. for over a year. We've been following his crime spree. We've been following the organization that he's put together. Yeah. He's been apprehended. So according to the uh, San Francisco Gate, Tahoe's infamous 500-pound bear, Hank the Tank, captured after 21 home break-ins. That's a number. Mm. 21. Lake Tahoe's infamous 500-pound black bear, nicknamed Hank the Tank, and they say for her massive. I don't, I've never known a woman named Hank. 
Yeah, this is a lie. This is this is the same thing they pulled with Hero Dog, the one who killed the terrorist. Yes. They were like, oh no, it's actually a girl. They make this shit up, dude. You know what Hank is. Hank is Hank is a badass. Uh he was finally captured on Friday morning, according to the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. The bear had been linked to at least twenty-one home break-ins mm. in the South Lake Tahoe area, mm. causing extensive property damage as far back as twenty twenty two. Yeah, we've covered it the and, whole and, way. And these are these are Tahoe houses. These are these are pricey areas, you know, to oh, live yeah. in. So this is like, you know, some Oceans Twelve shit this guy's doing. Yeah. You know, he's not just like opening a door this yeah. guy's lot of ring, lasers and a lot of ring cameras planning you know? yeah there's planning that's gone into place but uh, we, sh- we shouldn't let's let's not let's not underplay the significance of this moment this is the equivalent of paul bremer walking out to the press and saying ladies and gentlemen we got him yeah, yeah. this is the same thing in the battle against the animal kingdom right this is this is a big deal but we'll get to the ramifications of what you just suggested in a moment the bears three male cubs which had accompanied Hank on recent home break-ins were also caught. Mm. I mean, like, this is the thing, is is learning from this administration, it's a crime family. You've got the Biden crime family, you've got <laughs> Hank crime family, and his has gone down. His has gone down. We need equal justice in this country if we're going after all crime families. <laughs> Hank is well known to Tahoe area residents, but also... The internet at large, which, by the way, I think we started. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Bears' immense girth and robust rap sheet made it almost an overnight internet celebrity with some calling for Hank's inclusion on the California state flag. That would be be good. That'd be accurate. I mean, how would you fit him, though? He's 500 pounds. (laughs) Well, you'd have to make the whole fat flag, right? Fat flag. It's just a fat bear. Fat, just a big (laughs) fat bear. I mean, make it clear that 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 state is run by criminals. They can run amok, but I say put Hank on there. That's true. So if you guys recall, Mm -hmm. Hank was apprehended once before. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't pin the crime on him. Yeah, he beat the rap. He beat the rap. Yeah. So they released him. And according to CDFW, that's this California wildlife situation, um, which shed sat- it, it shed satellite tracking collar last May. So they put a, a satellite tracking collar on Hank. Yeah. After the apprehension. Think of it like a, uh, like a, like a, uh, a- ankle, ankle bracelet, bracelet yeah. like a home arrest yeah. type thing. This, Fucker took that thing right off. Immediately. What did they think? Yeah. It had DNA traces discovered at 21 home invasions between February 22 and May 23, and was also suspected in additional break-ins and property damage that they couldn't actually pin the guy on. Uh, the bear, it, it's known to this wildlife thing as 64F, uh, as it's known, is tied to a tremendous amount of damage. Hmm. One of multiple bears identified by the public over the last year as Hank the Tank based on visual observations. So, again, just to backtrack for you guys, Hank was running a ring. Yep. Mm-hmm. As we always said, that's the key thing. For for over a year, we let people know this is a crime ring. And we knew it, everybody was pinning on Hank. They tried to uh, DNA sample Hank. Hank was like, hey, if the glove, he beats the glove, the the glove don't fit. He beat the rap. Right? That's basically what Hank was doing. The full Johnny Cochran. So he beats the rap. He has three kids that are in it with him. Yeah. And they're just running wild in this area. 22 home break-ins. Um, but but there could... So now this is, their, this is their thing. This is what they say. Instead of being like, okay, we've got him. 
like the community can live in peace, there could still be more Hank the Tanks out there. I mean, here's the other thing is it may not be Hank. Maybe maybe they did capture a female. I think you might be right. But it might have been one of the capos that, you know, Hank's Mm -hmm. got out there. Right. Right, there's going to be a lot of fat bears if they're all eating well. That's the thing. Yeah. You know, you've got a crime family. You've got a guy who beats raps. This is like some Italian bear situation. Clearly, he sends people out to do his work. <laughs> He's the bear He's, mafia. You're, you're never going to get him on the phone saying that, like, you know, push the button. He'll never make the call on, like, a phone because he knows about wiretaps. He knows yeah. the government's been trying to he follow knows him. Shit. Right. He, he took off shit. the geolocation. 100%. And as you recall, it's not just the bears. He's ventured into turkeys and monkeys and dogs and cats. Mm-hmm. Ashbrook, you're all over this. Well, we know the animal kingdom is rising up. <laughs> Every day there's more evidence. Here we just, go. Just last night, there was evidence on the internet of a cat literally in an unprovoked attack on some guy who was simply trying to open up a can of tuna fish for the animal. I it, saw this. It went after him with like reckless abandon. It looked, it, this looked like a tiger. This I, thing was chasing him around the house. Well, with it's because I, I told it, you cats have that like a uh, brain parasite. Like, what is it called? It's like toxic plasmosis yeah, or something like that. Yeah. They got brain parasites. Yeah. So of course it, the cat will flip on you. They literally have brain worms. Yeah. yeah. Literally. Literally. <laughs> I noticed the go. The, the guy had ample opportunity to drop a boot on the thing, and he didn't. It, well, that's when they sense weakness. When they sense fear, they know they can go after you. That's yeah. the thing. The, the animal kingdom is rising up. This is something we're raising awareness about on the on the Ruthless Variety program. We either have Hank in custody or we have an imposter who's close to Hank. If it's not Hank, we're going to get to him. It could be Hank's wife. I mean, it's possible. This could be Hank's wife. The the problem here is, you know, the animals sense weakness because we do weak things. It says here more from the article. The Bears' three cubs will be transferred to Sonoma County Wildlife Rescue with hopes that they can one day be released back into the wild. And the cycle of violence continues. And the Mm -hmm. cycle continues. But here's the worst part. It's not just the cups. It's Hank. The CDF rarely approves relocations for problem animals, but it's making an exception given the high interest in extraordinary circumstances of Hank's case. What are they thinking? Colorado Governor Jared Polis welcomed Hank to the state of Colorado in a social media post. That's the worst oh. thing. That's the saddest thing. Once the state is blue, they literally welcome criminals. Look at what they're doing. Look at what they're doing. I have no, I, at this point, the people of Colorado, you, the, your governor's put you in grave, grave danger. Mm. He's asking for crime. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the solution they're in, is inviting, simple. They're inviting the apocalypse. You may not know it's Hank, so you put a bullet in him. Put a bullet in the head of this bear, of, of the three <laughs> other bears. This isn't Goldilocks. You don't let him run amok. Every bear catches it, right? <laughs> and now let's see who shows up out the woodwork. Bear catches it. You know? All of a sudden, the problems go away. Who'd have thought? And guess what? You have a nice rug for your floor. I mean, I would love a dead bear. That's going to be a big rug, man. 500 pounds. 500 pounds. But you got to think about that kind of thing. And I also think if you encounter by a turkey, you take your ring the, the neck off that thing. And then you paint no Hank or something. Yeah, send the message. You got to give a send a send message. Send the message. Yeah. Wall to wall carpet, if I'm but in it's Colorado a bear. Right I mean, can now. you imagine? If I'm in Colorado right now, I'm sending messages all over the place. Mm-hmm. And particularly if I'm in a rural area. Right, there is. There, let them know. There is a season. Oh, a bear season. There is a season. Would, yeah. you, would you consider hunting Hank? Absolutely. Okay. It's. I think. I feel like we owe it to our fellow man. We there could take be, it there upon be a bounty. Ourselves. There should be a bounty. Is what I don't get. We should talk to like O'Day or somebody out there and see if they can take us out to like where Hank is. It, you think it would be a problem if we like actually shot Hank and he still had the like 
in California, in California, it could be like New York. You know, they'll arrest you if you attack a criminal. Bro, you just you better have like an elephant rifle to take down. But Hank. can you imagine? Can you imagine if we took Hank by legal means, of course, yeah, yeah, within of course. season by legal means? Sure. If we took Hank and then he was behind us back here, oh, we found a good the taxidermist. Trophy. The trophy, yeah. yeah. If you know, if you live in Colorado and you have interest in helping us out with Hank, you let us know. We can be foot soldiers in this deal. Seems like it's their territory, so they yeah. gotta guide us on it. Yeah. But I'd be more than happy to j- just like figure out how to take Hank out from harming Americans. Yeah. Um, all right. So this is the one other story we gotta hit, and because I found this this morning, and I died. I I don't know why I found this so hilarious. It's tragic. It's tragic. <laughs> but I, thought, I, I, I started reading the, he- the headlines like manslaughter, and you're like, this is the funniest shit ever. Dude. <laughs> so Florida man arrested for country club manslaughter after a hole-in-one photo ID. Oh, man. Okay, so a man's five minutes of fame at a Florida golf course where he hit a hole-in-one and had his picture taken is what allegedly helped officers arrest and charge him in connection with a deadly assault that took place at the course's parking lot. So here's what happened. I'm not even gonna read this story. This was according to ABC7 in New York. I'm not even gonna read this story. I've read like three different accounts of it. I'm just gonna tell you what happened. There was this dude, uh, Zook, who rolled, he's 87, Dean Zook, mm-hmm. and they're in the villages. I mean, we know yeah, yeah, in yeah. the village. It's like the, what is it, the STD capital of the world? That in Australia with the koalas and all that shit? 100%. Oh, yeah, it's like basically the same thing. They run rampant around the villages. There's just no question about it. Like, you need to... It's scientific fact. It's wild. Yeah. yeah. It's wild. You yeah. don't want to think about it, but it's just true. Well, yeah, cops have to keep their head on a swivel in the villages. So Florida. what happens is this guy, Dean Zook, he rolls up in his car. He's 87. He's driving around like a crazy man. He rams into this car and... He immediately backs out, uh, and this unidentified individual, who later became known as Robert Moore, 75, uh, came out of the restaurant and uh, confronted him about hitting his car. Hmm. And uh, Zook started uh, approaching him in what looked like a confrontation, at which point Moore reared back and hammered this dude in the head, like jacked him, kind of like the baseball thing that we saw so a 75 year old jacked the 87 year old yeah in the face yeah and that's the kind of thing you get in the villages like you got to go in hard you got like anybody who thinks you're just dealing with the olds you're, you're mistaken like you got to recalculate because these guys they got a lot of stuff going on okay right okay they'll take your girl and they'll knock you out <laughs> that's what <laughs> florida's friendliest hometown that's what that's what happens Wow. So anyway, this guy jacks him, and then he, after he jacks him, I'm not making this up, dude walks into the country club, sits down at the bar, orders a couple of pops, gets some food to go, puts it in his bag, gets in his car, and leaves. At that point, he realized that it wasn't the car that uh, Zook hit that was his car. What? Zook had hit another car that looked identical. To You're this. kidding me. <laughs> So he just killed him. It wasn't even his car. <laughs> he just like he's like, oh, it didn't hit my car. Okay, great. So he like gets in. He goes. The cops show up sometime later, and Zook's in bad shape, uh, and they're tending to him, and they're like putting him in an ambulance and all this and the other. But they get enough story out of him to say like, I hit this guy's car, and the guy like knocked me out. Okay, great. Well, they can't, they don't have no, the guy's not on premises. They go into the thing. They're like, we have no idea who you're talking about. They try to pull all sort, all kinds of surveillance tape and they think they've found out generally who this dude 
might be because he went to the the bar. But they're like not going to press charges right away because the guy that like wasn't going to press charges. Well, like a couple of weeks later, goes into hospital and dies. Wow. Zook. Like this thing, 87, you don't want to get rocked by a right hand because it's like not good. Not good. Like the recovery time for something like that. Not good for 87. So now they've got like a murder investigation going. So they got to go back to this thing. They check it all out. And it turns out the guy was wearing basically the exact same outfit in a hole in one that he'd hit a few weeks prior at another country club. And it was in the newspaper. <laughs> they were like, well, that's the guy. Amazing. <laughs> that is a roller coaster story. <laughs> so he's now charged uh, with manslaughter for knocking out poor Zook. It's pretty incredible that he just went into the bar, had a few pops, and got food to go. That's the way they roll the village. Here's Michael. the other part, though, I don't understand here. So Zook gets rocked in the parking lot. After hitting a car, he just parked or got out of the car after he parked. He's there with his wife to have dinner. Where's his wife in all of this? <laughs> I don't know. Not Hero, providing the wife, great... The like, wife just sees him get rocked and is like, I, I uh, guess uh, I'll get in, go inside and get us a table? That's Again, that's how it is in the villages, dude. <laughs> That's how it is. It's the villages. You got to keep your eye on the villages. I mean, they everyone's mean everyone's heard stories. I think we've discussed this on the show of like what happens in the villages. You know, it's a very old elderly crowd who lives there. And like when one of the members of the couple <laughs> died, there's like a sign that gets put in front. Like, oh, my dear husband, John, he passed away. Yeah, they're like, what's there's up? like two weeks of grieving. And then it's just like every dude's knocking on her door. <laughs> kind of a situation which is part of why you've got this high prevalence of scds like this is no there's been documentaries about this right like yeah and so i guess she just didn't wait she's like zook i he looks like he got rocked (laughs) why not just fast forward this shit a little bit the country club's the right place she's like what's your name yeah she just walks in she's like you're the youngest guy here you're 76 (laughs) where are you going after this He's like, I'm getting some food to go and hitting hole in one. Bitch, what are you up to? Wow. Yeah, so he he did he hit the ace at the Tarpon Boyle Executive Golf Course, and that's how he got busted. I just can't get over that. She the wife just watches this dude get rocked. It's like, oh well. Provided zero. <laughs> zero help. Zero help. Because the guy because here's the thing. Like maybe she called the cops. I don't know who called the cops, but like whatever it was. This guy actually left the scene, went in, got a cocktail or two, got picked up his food, got in his car and left. Oh. And by the way, how hilarious must it have been when he got in the car and he was like, huh, not my fucking car. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be damned. And well, that guy was asking for it. Anyway. What are they, how, many, how many white Cadillacs with blue bimini tops can there be in there? <laughs> <laughs> The more I I think about this, the scarier it gets. You know, like Duncan's point of like, what did the wife do when this is happening, right? Right. Like the mind of a woman, she's like, I'm sick of putting up with this dude. He hits cars and parking lots. His life insurance is massive. (laughs) Like, do I want to collect or do I want to deal with this guy driving around in parking lots and hitting shit? Like allegedly. I've told him, allegedly. she's like, I love that he's like, alleging insurance yeah. fraud. Oh, yeah. Allegedly, you, you think Zook's poor wife? You, you, you know the woman is like, I told him. It up. You know the wife said a hundred times, I told you not to drive. I bet as soon as he hit the car, she said, I told you not to drive, right? <laughs> I told you not to drive. I told you not Dude, to drive. Dude, that's a hundred percent the you way know, it went down. You know, so what gets, did I tell you about the parking lot? He gets out. He's doing the right thing. He's like, let's just change information. He has to listen to his wife every time. He makes a little screw up. Say, I told you this. 
this shit. He's out. Then he gets rocked by this dude, right? Zook, you son of a bitch. You hit a car again. Yeah. I can't believe this is the fourth time in his many weeks. I told you we should get a golf cart. It is wild that he went inside, had some pops, and got food to go, and still got off premise without yeah. being arrested. Yeah. Like, the wife didn't do her job. Yeah, no. She's calling Allstate. I think he's done. How quick does the wire hit? <laughs> oh, jeez. What an outrageous allegation. Or maybe, like, in the villages, it operates a little bit at, like, you know, like Compton or something like that, where the cops are like, just give it a few minutes to cool down. Yeah, street justice. Just give it a give it a few few minutes. Like, yeah, we'll yeah. Get in there, we'll the take villages. The what if the villages is a no go zone? <laughs> <laughs> like that Seattle thing yeah, where yeah. it was like they boxed off. Yeah. There's no law here. Chop or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> There's no law here. Yeah. Oh, uh, anyway, all right. I think we did it, fellas. Uh, what a hell of an Monday or Tuesday episode. Jesus, I'm losing my dates. I think we did outstanding episode. Outstanding work, gentlemen, and thank you so much to our guest. Again, folks, very important message. Pay attention to that. So, until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless.